there's a disconnect between reality and what's actually happening. And that's often the case when it comes to property transactions. I'm horrified the number of firms over the past two years who've said we are stopping taking on cases. That's an interesting one. My peers will say that the property conveyancing market, residential market's broken. It's not broken. The teacher told me that people like me didn't become solicitors because I was from a working class background and thought, sod you, I'll prove you wrong. Welcome to the New Homes Podcast. In this episode, we speak to the king of conveyancing, the Lego man himself, if you know, you know, Mr. Paul Sams. Highly regarded within the New Homes Conveyancing world, Paul pulls no punches on the current state of New Homes Conveyancing, providing knowledge and advice to house builders with the humour and personality that he's so well known for. We hope you enjoy the conversation, and if you'd like to hear more about the sales and marketing of New Homes, don't forget to hit subscribe. Paul or Lego Paul? As a, an experienced solicitor, what's been your journey to date? My journey? Oh, my journey this morning was in the rain to get here. But I was brought up in Northumberland in a small town called Prudder. It's about 10 miles outside of Newcastle. The biggest employer there was uh, Kimberly Clark, where they made toilet roll. Not the one with the puppy, the other one. My dad worked at that factory for about 30 years. And you, everyone else that I went to school with got a GNVQ in car braking, level three, as I called it, or carpet cleaning level four. And so there weren't many of us that went to university. But I decided when I was seven, I decided to want to be a solicitor because my parents had gone to make their wills in the market town of Hexham, which is 10 miles the other way from Prada. And the lawyer there, the solicitor they saw, had a lovely leather-back desk and a leather-back chair, and my parents got cups of tea given to them. My brother and I got a cup of squash each. And I remember my dad giving a huge wadge of cash across to the solicitor for making their wills, which I had a vague understanding what was going on because I was about six, seven when I saw that. And then when we were on the way out, my dad pointed at the solicitor's car, goes, Mercedes, nice car that. He said, good job being a solicitor. And I thought, right, this is what I want to do. And then when we had to write at seven years old, what do you want to be? I want to be a solicitor. When I own a Rolls Royce, not owned a Rolls Royce yet, not sure I'd want one. Wanted a telephone in every room. Well, mobiles have put paid to that. <laughs> and I wanted to have an office and I wanted to have a brass plaque. Well, I've got my own office. I don't have a brass plaque. I suppose someone could make one for me. But I remember the teacher, once I'd written it, told me that people like me didn't become solicitors because I was from a working class background. And I thought, sod you, I'll prove you wrong. Amazing. Sometimes um, you need that to motivate you, don't you? Yeah, then the spooky thing, and I had nothing to do at all with it. It was all natural causes. The day I qualified, she died. Wow. I thought that was serendipity. So you didn't even get to tell her? No. <laughs> I was robbed of that, <laughs> that privilege. But yeah, it was, you know, my parents made a lot of sacrifices for us to be able to, for my brother, he's got PhD, MA, BSc. He's a teacher up in Blythe and Northumberland. They made a lot of sacrifices for us. So I'm forever grateful for that. So in your specialism, as you sit today, what do you feel is broken? It's interesting that people, there's a lot of my peers will say that the property conveyancing market, residential market's broken. It's not broken. Because if it was if it was broken, we wouldn't have done 1.5 million transactions last year and a million plus the year before during COVID. It could improve because I think there are too many people in my profession who are worried of their own shadow and worried about things. And common sense, as has gone in society, is out of the window. 
I always liken it to the fact that when I was little, if there was a hole in the road outside, people go, there's a hole in the road. Whereas now if there's a hole in the road, you've got to have health and safety barriers around it, a police officer there, two PCSOs, a person from the council to monitor it, and someone else to come and check the hole's feelings to see how it feels. There is no common sense. And if people just used common sense, it would get things through a lot more quickly. And there are some great lawyers out there. I work with a great team of people. We have a lot of people on the other side of transactions we get on really well with, but there are too many people out there who are jobs worse. And that's in every profession, in everything that we do. There's always that's going to come up and there's no easy fix to that. So what's been your secret to building such a phenomenal law firm? You joined Dutton Gregory in 2018 and in that time, I mean, your team has grown and your reputation is very, very good in the industry. What's different about you well, and I'm the way glad that you for do business? Stri- first of all, that that check arrived <laughs> for you to say that. The fact that I've made a lot of mistakes during my lifetime and a lot of mistakes in the law. I used to be a horrible manager and I don't think I'm a great manager now. What I do realize is that everyone's different. So I used to think that because I was the highest biller and my previous firms, I bill very much. I would bring work in and I was doing what I call the Dennis Waterman effect. I was writing the theme tune, I was singing the theme tune, I was starring in it, I was directing it. And I thought if everyone else can't do that, they they were crap. I realized a few years ago that that's not the case and everyone's different and some people need the arm around the shoulder, some people need to kick up the ass, some people are more resilient to feedback than others. But I've got a drive to try and improve things and a good friend of mine, Robin, said this to me, which I thought was quite poignant the other day. He said, look, Paul, you are happy. He said, the thing is, you're happy, but you're never satisfied, so I always want more. Because as you can tell from my trim figure, I have a problem when it comes to eating. So if there's something put in front of me, I feel I need to eat it all. And that's why in the States last week, I've realized less portions are so big because most of it's salt. <laughs> but I think the success that we've had, if you can call it success, it's kind of you to say that, and I don't know whether everyone would say that, is being honest with people, self-depreciating honesty when you interview people. I interviewed a lot of people this year for roles. All of them, I think, were good lawyers. Some people wouldn't fit our culture. And our culture is very important to us as a firm. It's very important to me as a department. I'd rather have people be able to fit in than be the best lawyers ever. I'm sure there are other people out there who are great academic lawyers. I don't need academics. I need people who've got common sense that are willing to work as a team. And I suppose the frustration for you must come that, you know, you could be the best solicitor in the world, but you're at the mercy of other solicitors and agents and, you know, other people's buyers that ultimately can make you look bad. If there was one or a couple of things that you could change, short of being the only solicitor in the chain, what would it be? So if there's one bit of feedback that you could give to kind of smoothen the process. I think people are very bad at transparency. And by that, I mean just telling people where things are at. And often when there's lots of people involved in a process, there's always rumours start. When the rumours start, rumours are quite easy to start. Years and years and years ago, I remember that I was dealing with a major MD of a major uh, blue chip listed developer. And I was at a deal with him. And I told him a story I'd heard about a Premier League footballer that had a super injunction. And the next day, he emailed me and said, could you email me that story? So I emailed him. So this is what I've heard from so-and-so that heard it from so-and-so. And he sent it to all the other MDs of said major developer. And it went all the way across the country. The problem with this story was that the super injunction was from a footballer that was having an affair with his wife's sister, is what I've been told. If I'd checked the facts, Wikipedia and other websites are available, I would have found out said footballer's wife doesn't have a sister. So it couldn't have been true. But I was told that it was gospel, said it to someone else, who of course is in a much more powerful position than I am, and it spread. 
And that's the problem with chains that we've got. People aren't transparent. So we hear a story that someone hasn't got a mortgage offer and you're in, when I last moved, I was link 10 in a chain of 12, wisely done for two property lawyers, of course. And we'd hear stories about, oh, so-and-so to further down hasn't got a mortgage offer. So we'd call them to find out. So we were doing the update for the chain. Now, Sarah and I have that ability because we know what we're doing to some extent anyway. But Joe Bloggs that's buying doesn't have that. And they're at the mercy of everything. And they have the media telling them this and telling them that. As you know, a few weeks ago, the BBC were running one of their ticker tapes of how terrible it was that interest rates were going up and people were going to die because they couldn't afford their mortgages. That happened for a short period of time. Interest rates have been too low for too long. They would have gone up if it hadn't been for the pandemic because they've been too low for too long, as I say. Interest rates have actually come down. But the BBC and the other press are not telling us that interest rates have come down. What they're telling us is that we're all going to die still. I'm always told that there's lots of problems with hospitality. Every time I've been out, which sadly has been a lot recently, it always seems really busy. Whether that's because I'm going on the popular nights or not, I don't know. But I think there's a disconnect between reality and what's actually happening. And that's often the case when it comes to property transactions. So if transparency is the kind of golden ticket to speeding up and smoothening property transactions, how do you feel technology can play a part? Because obviously with transparency, that's very much humans deciding what to say and what not to say. And do you feel there's a place for technology to play more of a role in the process so that actually everyone knows where the thing's at and there is no ability to hide. That is the um, ultimate aim. And there are lots of companies at the minute offering that. The problem is that they need everyone to sign up to do it. And the reason that the Law of Property Act 1925 that came into place on the 1st of January 1926 said that all land should be registered at the land registry. Well, that we still have 15% unregistered land now because lawyers put the kibosh on it. And it was under the Thatcher government of the 80s where she forced compulsory registration on places. Places like Wiltshire were one of the last, I think, in 1988 to have land compulsory registered because lawyers didn't understand this newfangled technology. So they'd stop it. And conveyancing is still very much a cottage industry for a lot of firms. We ranked in the InfoTrack Property Digital Maturity Index at uh, rank 16 out of 260 firms, which is not bad. I would say I was completely honest when I gave my answers. I'm not just sure <laughs> some of the other firms were because you can never tell. But we use technology fairly well, but there's ways that we could use technology more and are looking at it and trying to refine it. Because the way I look at it, I'm not trying to replace human beings with technology. I'm trying to free human beings up to be able to do more. Because if you can call and speak to people, like I gave that example of Matty Esther where the client said the agents couldn't get hold of us and things weren't happening making some phone calls to the agent who at the time of recording has not called me back yet um and the other side solicited is to say look where are you up to well i need these points answering okay well i don't seem to have seen those points oh well, my client sent them to me i said well have you sent them to us oh i think so okay fine well we'll go off and find that information tell the client tell the agent and then this is where we're at it's managing the process now i don't think it's rocket science because there's very few things that are rocket science, apart from the rocket scientists, who get paid a lot more than we do. But it's the basics of dealing with people. And you're always going to have uncontrollables. Pandemic, inflation, I can't control that. So property transactions can become notoriously quite complex. Do you feel that there will be a time where conveyances aren't actually needed and the whole process can become a sort of online, automated type process? Um I suspect that in my lifetime that may happen, which will horrify a lot of people. So, oh, no, we've got to do it this way. Whereas the lawyers that tend to slow it down because they'll come up with raising inquiries or taking their time or not answering the phone or someone's on holiday and no one's covering it. 
I'm not going to say we're perfect because we're not. But I hear stories of firms. There was a, someone put something on LinkedIn last night about the biggest conveyancing firm in the country that should remain nameless. He was head of sales for a developer locally and was saying, please, tagging the person in charge of the conveyancing department, can you get someone at your end to answer the phone and come back to us? Now, if I saw that and it was my firm, I'd be mortified. And at a previous firm, I did have someone tweet once to say that, where were you in my hour of need? And that was awful. We jumped all over it and said, oh, I just felt frustrated. There was no real delay there. But in the world of social media, when people can put things out there, that is always the danger that we all run. And so I always drum that into people. I've got this horrible phrase, but it's true. And a lot of people don't like it, but it is true. And it's seconds or you're dead. Because in this world, that I can go on my phone and I can order something from a large river-type organization, and it can be here tomorrow. I remember during the pandemic, I decided I'd get into cycling again, and I couldn't find my bicycle pump anywhere. So I ordered one from said large um, South American river, and they said it would take five days to get here. This is sort of week one of lockdown. Five days? This is not disgusting. Five days. It arrived in two. I was ecstatic. Um, But it was when we all had a shortage of eggs then, although apparently that's coming back again now. And for your new homes clients, what do you feel they could do for you and for the process to speed things up? That's an interesting one. I think with new homes clients, it's if we send them something, if they can send it back promptly, And often people feel the need to wait. And if you wait, that causes delay. So if you send something, if you could send it back, if you've got queries on it, raise it. But if you can send it back promptly, you can, in theory, complete our fastest transaction we've completed in the past two years was three hours and 45 minutes. It's very specific facts. Um, I won't go into them now. There was no mortgage involved, which of course helps. But very specific facts allow it to happen. We were prepared and still do offer a one-day conveyancing service. It's the same day conveyancing service you pay, but that opportunity is there if people want to do it. And I, my fastest transaction was six hours, start to finish. But again, very specific facts and there's no mortgage involved. But you can do it that quickly. It tends to be the parties that want to slow it down. And certainly with new homes, it's not so much now. So since 2008, um, obviously you're too young to remember, Mr. Jens, um, but pre-2008 developers would build a lot of stock and then they sell that stock. Since 2008, they stopped building stock. It's all built to order with a six-month time frame of when it's going to be ready, which causes its own problems with connections to services, bricks, mortar, trade staff, the like. We're able to do transactions very quickly because the stock was there and you had a motivated seller, you had a motivated buyer and lawyers that knew the process and get it through quickly. That tends to have ended now because the stock's not there and the stock is still low, although there are more houses for sale now than there were six months ago because there is a definite slowdown in the market caused, in my view, by one regional sort of trends. After Her Majesty passed away, there was a stop in the property process for about two weeks, which is actually quite a big stop. As soon as you stop anything, it takes a while for it to push back up again. And also the fact that the BBC and the like have been telling us all that we're all doomed every five minutes. And, and how are you seeing things in the day-to-day at this point in time? Um, the market has slowed. It has slowed considerably. There's no denying that. We still have a pipeline of matters that are going through. So from a cost business point of view, we're fine till December of this year. I still want to expand my business and I work on the simple basis that if I had 10 people that gave me 10 cases a month, so if I needed 100 and those people are only going to give me one, that means I've got 10 cases, so I need to meet 90 new people. Um, It's a fairly simple business process, but I find it works quite well. I'm horrified the number of firms over the past two years who've said we are stopping taking on cases. 
because they think that's being clever and smart. I'm sure their teams probably thought they were amazing. But by doing that, they've destroyed their business because when they go back to people saying, can I take the cases on? They're not going to forget that because people don't forget unless they're desperate. And I don't think they're going to get desperate again for a while. There was a lot of people when I was away on holiday last week, I noticed on LinkedIn, people bemoaning the fact that the Chancellor said that the stamp duty cuts that took place in the previous Chancellor's statement would be ended in 2025. And they said, oh, there's another deadline coming. That's terrible. We've always relied on deadlines. Gordon Brown, bless him, said, no more boom and bust. Wrong. This country survives on boom and bust. It's what happens. You have an up, then you have a down. You have an up, then you have a down. And as long as we have more ups and downs, which we have done, touch wood, then we'll be fine. But don't bemoan a deadline because it just brings, it. all it does, if you think of it from a business point of view, as I do, is it just means your cash flow gets affected because you have a lot of cash coming at once and then it dies off for a bit. As long as you look for the peaks and troughs and try and plan through it, as I do, and we do as a firm at Dun Gregory, you'll be far better off. Just a quick one. This podcast is brought to you by Andler Agency. If you'd like to discuss the sales and marketing or PR for your new homes, get in touch today. We met 10 years ago, perhaps, was it? I helped to buy somebody you were speaking at, at Newbury Race Course, wearing a very bold shirt, as as you'd expect. And you know, at that point in time, helped to buy was the catalyst for the growth in the market. And as things stand at the moment, yes, we've got you know a, a stamp duty incentive. But what would you like to see to encourage growth? Well, Help you- buy was the um, I'm not allowed to say the type of drug it was, but I had someone describe it at a seminar I was at of a um, well, I'll say it I said it, it said it was the crack cocaine of the property market. It fueled it and it kept it going because all of the previous schemes and there were previous schemes before Help to Buy that were very similar from a buyer's point of view, but were not marketed so much by the developers. The reason they weren't marketed as much by the developers is the developers had to kick some money into the scheme. There's one where you could get 30%. In fact, there's one where you could get 50%, but the developer had to put 25% in. That's quite a lot of money for them, so they didn't push it too much. Help to Buy, there was no money put in from the developer. So they were happy days. This is great. And it allowed also, it wasn't just for first-time buyers, it's for anyone under the first scheme. I think some sort of stimulus to the new build market wouldn't be a bad idea, but the politicians' will to do it is not there. What they don't seem to accept is that which everyone else accepts as a true statistic, which is rare because statistics, as I say, are a politician uses statistics like a drunk uses a lamppost for support rather than illumination. <laughs> um, I learned that from my GCSE statistics. I couldn't tell you anything else my GCSE statistics, apart from I've got a B in it, um, is that quote, is that every new home that's sold produces £10,000 for the wider economy. That's not just the process, but the wider economy. So you go to a large Swedish uh, furniture firm. I refuse to go in there because I bump into clients. Not so mind now because I don't do so much legal work. But when I used to do a lot of first-time bar work, I'd go in and my wife would go, right, try not to look like you look. What do you want to do? Wear a bag over my head? Because people go, oh, hello, Paul, how are you? I'm just buying this bed. I'm buying this. We are competing on Friday, aren't we? Yes, yes, I believe so. Um, but that much money gets pumped into the economy. And if you think that 1.5 million sales last year with 10,000 on top, it's an awful lot of money got pumped into the economy. And I mean, helped to buy notoriously. I mean, I know it helped anyone, regardless of whether you're a first time buyer or not. But at the other end of the scale, we've got you know people of retirement age that are rattling around. You know, my parents are guilty. You know, they're rattling around in our family home. Um, you know, it's just the two of them. They don't need all that space. Is there anything that you'd like to see to kind of get those people out of their houses 
obviously there's a lot of retirement development around. It's very expensive. Some of them don't have great reputations. But is there a route that you can see to kind of unlock those properties to free them up to actually just free up the housing market? Because at the moment, you know, with a growing population and a shortage of housing, you know, it's tough. What would you like to see to free up properties that's at a high end? Being the capitalist that I am, or greedy capitalist pig, as Carly likes to call me, I'm not keen on telling people to go out of their property because I, we as a firm do a lot of equity release work and you'll see people and one of the first questions, they, I sort of train lawyers on equity release. I've sadly written a couple of books about it as well. I should really write novels and I'd probably make more money than I do now if they were good. Uh, I say to people, well, you see Gladys and Gladys comes in and she's got a four bedroom house in Chandler's Broad, for instance. Go, well, look, Gladys, rather than borrowing this £50,000 to help you buy a car and go on a cruise on equity release, why don't you sell your house? Oh, I can't sell the house, Paul, because I brought my kids up here and they come and stay and I know all the friends and neighbours. And I think there's this projection from a lot in the media that, and also, dare I say it, pushed by the large retirement developers, which I don't, you know, I'm not knocking them because they've got to try and get their message out to try and get people to buy from them, of selling their property will free up space for others to take on. I think it'd be better if we could build more housing because that has more benefit because it employs people. As I say, £10,000 from each property sale then pushes money into the rest of the market, not least the pizza delivery and the um, sort of other other fast food is available because people never, ever cook in the first night they're in their new home, do they? I don't know anyone that does. I think that freeing property up is a bit of a myth. I think we're better off building more property because there are houses that are out there that are empty. There are few and far between. There are not as many as people think. I spend a lot of time on the Isle of Wight, uh, sand down the Isle of Wight. My wife and kids love it. We've looked at trying to buy a property there as a second home ourselves. Along the seafront, there's a lot of property there that's vacant and could do work, but it has structural issues. Once you factor in that, well, actually, there's a lot of structural work that it's doing. It's quite costly to do. Someone will come along and do it at some point. I don't know when. I would hope it's in my lifetime. But I don't think we should be looking at trying to force the likes of Gladys and other people of a certain age to get out of their property. It's the same with your parents. If you went to them and said, look, why didn't you go and buy this lovely two-bedroom retirement property? The service charges there are quite high, plus they get used to where they are and they know the local area. So I think our solution, dare I say, is to build more houses, but not put a target on it. Michael Gove, Rishi Sunak, have talked about putting a target on it. Someone came with the phrase, bananas, build anywhere but not around near me. I can't quite read what the an acronym was, but it's something like that, banana, about build anywhere but not near me. That's what a lot of people have. In my village, there is a site about 250 yards down the road from me, and I know that people have looked at getting planning on it but couldn't sort it. And I'm sort of like, do I want them to build houses there? I said, well, we need houses. It's not really going to affect me, but they make the road busier. But it won't make the road busier because I live on a main road. I'm quite pragmatic about it. Not everyone is, because an Englishman's home is his castle, as they say. And we're all quite prissy, for want of a better word, when people do things nearby. Mm. We could talk about planning for days, couldn't we? Uh, yes, it's not the easiest. The biggest problem, I think, is nitrate mitigation that we've had to deal with, because that's a curveball that people haven't expected. And the thing is, they call it nitrate mitigation, but it's not. Because if you build a house in, say, Chamas Ford, you can do your nitrate mitigation on the Isle of Wight. So how's that offsetting the nitrates that goes into the water plane there? It's not. They should just call it nitrate tax. That's what it is. And the solution is not the solution of just palming it off onto someone else that's got a field that you can use or plant some trees. That's not a solution to it. It's just a tax. 
And if they were honest and called it a tax, it'd be better. But there's a tax now that's been rumoured that with the new forest, the new forest is saying that if you're in 25 miles of the new forest, if you build a house in a different area, so say you built it in Fairham, that they're talking about they wanting to pay a new forest tax because people from Fairham might go to the new forest and they might cause dismay to the new forest ponies. I'm not saying just people from Fairham, by the way. And that's crazy. Because you may as well say, well, actually, you might go to London, and London's got a smog problem. So because you live in Southampton, and I go to London probably a couple of times a month, if not more, I should pay an extra bit of tax because I'm going into London. So, Paul, a closing question for you. Sounds you're, ominous. You're looking to buy a new house, and that viewing can be undertaken by anyone. You can pick a celebrity or someone personal, perhaps. You get an hour, they're going to show you around the house. You can sit and have a chat with them, ask them anything you like, sing to you, whatever. Who would it be and why? Ooh, that is a that is a proper curveball. I think Sarah, my wife, won't thank me for saying this. I, I pick, thought you were going to say you pick your wife. Then, oh no, no, no. Well, of course, of course, <laughs> I pick her. But she's not got celebrity status yet. Uh, I would pick Victoria Corin Mitchell mainly because she has been European Poker Champion twice. Her dad was a great chap in his own right. She's a fantastic journalist and writer. She's very witty and Only Connect is probably my favourite show on TV. And if I get more, it's a family thing, we'll watch it on a Monday. It's about the one thing we'll watch together. My kids will watch Newcastle with me without problem. So would you want to play poker with her or just talk? Just chat. Just chat. You're thinking strip poker, aren't you? That's where I was going. (laughs) Maybe that was coming to my mind. But um, no, I just just have a chat because I think she's a fascinating woman, interesting life, interesting family. So I'm guessing this new house would have a poker room or a games room or... It would probably have a games room, I think. A little roulette table in the corner. That that wouldn't be too bad. And, (laughs) And some slot machines. I wouldn't knock that. Very good. Well, Paul, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear more about the sales and marketing of new homes, don't forget to hit subscribe today.